Welcome to Rough Drafts, how God writes his love in our stories, a podcast that explores the faith journeys of our friends and neighbors in Burns, Tennessee. Everyone has a story to tell. And in this podcast, we'll hear powerful and inspiring stories of how God works in the ordinary lives of people like you and me. Our stories are unfinished and perfectly imperfect. They're just rough drafts, a glimpse of what is to come because God is still at work, writing plot twists, introducing new characters, and bringing good even from the most challenging circumstances. Join us as we see what God is up to in our stories. Here's your host, Matthew Hyatt. Today's episode, like all of our episodes, is a special one. This is one of my favorite people to get to spend time with. If she were arrested for homicide, no jury of her peers would convict her because of who she has to work with. She is the machine that makes Burns Church of Christ work between her and the Holy Spirit. Uh, We have everything we need here. Uh, I don't know how else to introduce her. She's a computer programmer, a dog lover, uh, all things uh, church person. She actually is considering getting a tattoo for her forehead that says, (laughs) did you read the bulletin? It's been in there for weeks. Uh, but she is one of the most patient and kind and hardworking people that I know. She is the one and the only Penny Langston. Penny, thanks for coming. You are so funny. (laughs) (laughs) I wish you could see the death look she's been giving me for the last 45 seconds. Um, Of all people, you should know what you're getting into (laughs) right now. Yeah, but I wasn't expecting that. It's part of the deal. I have to say nice things about you Uh (laughs) to make up for... (laughs) for asking you to do this. So Penny suffers as our church secretary and she shares an office building with me. So she knows how the sausage is made. She she knows all of the good stuff. So Penny, uh, thanks for coming today. And what's your God story? Ah, I would say thanks for having me, but uh, I've put it off a while. huh? Um, Well, I guess the one most people know, yeah, some people may not know, because I still find people that are shocked when I tell them. Um, We went through a spell of infertility for many years. I'm making (laughs) making Matthew hungry, his stomach's growling. Um, We, when John and I got married, I was like, yeah, I don't really want to have kids. I had a not great relationship with my father and childhood in that area and I was like I'm just not going to put anybody else through this John was like you know not everybody's like your father took many years for me to accept the fact that not all men are the same and uh, for God to say you know I think you need a child so I thought it was classic textbook you know you quit taking birth control pills and you get pregnant. <laughs> Are you about to explain to me where babies come from? Because Well, obviously I didn't know because it sure didn't work. <laughs> no. So anyway, we went through many years of infertility. Um, years. Years. Uh, uh, right at 10 years. 10. I, 10 years. years. Um. I started taking fertility. We started infertility treatments. I was 28. And the first round of drugs that I took, I told uh, the doctor when I went back it wasn't going to matter if I got pregnant because I was going to be divorced because I was horrible. (laughs) I was horrible. 
um, moody, cranky. Nobody wanted to be around me. I apologized at work. I can't tell you how many people I apologized to. Um, I wish we had footage of this era. Oh, no, it was awful. It was awful. Um, I didn't even like myself. And the doctor told me, he said, stress plays a huge factor in how you react to the drug I was taking. And I thought, oh, my job's not that stressful. I changed jobs. Wasn't taking the medicine because I had to take a break. Started back and apologized because I hadn't been at my job two months. And I'm like, I'm going to get fired. So anyway, I didn't have the reaction the next round. We did that for several years. Um, John took drugs. I took drugs. We were drug people. Um, And finally, nine years in, 10 years in, I said, I can't do this anymore. I went to the doctor three times a month, had my blood drawn three times a month. Nothing was working. And um, we did have one. John had a test done. The doctor said, I think if you do in vitro, there's a large possibility that you'll get pregnant. And my John's response to the doctor was, is that the litter thing? My wife won't do the litter thing. The litter thing. The litter thing. And. Hang on. What does that mean? The litter thing. Well, I would not do in vitro. I, I would not do. When you do in vitro, um, they harvest. They're looking to harvest 10 to 12 eggs. And then they fertilize those 10 to 12 eggs. And that's when you get into the freezing and they reimplant however many. And my issue was. I had read stories about people getting pregnant with quadruplets and the doctor saying, you can't carry four, you've got to do a reduction or you'll lose them all. Mm-hmm. And the lady had a reduction and she had twins and the town she lived in, a lady had quadru- quadruplets and she had to move. She said she couldn't deal with what about her other two. And I said, I would rather never have any then be faced with some of those situations. There's some really hard ethical and spiritual dilemmas people face. There are. That doesn't get talked about. No, and I wrote an ethics paper at Lipscomb, and the teacher asked me, he said, I want to talk to you after class, and I thought, oh, great, what have I done? (laughs) And he said, how did you get all of this done in the time frame of this paper? And I said, well, I've lived this. For the last 10 years. This wasn't theoretical. Yeah, it wasn't just a topic I came up with. I said, it's what I've done. And he and that's what he said. He said, I had no idea these things went on behind the scenes or that people were faced with these situations. And, I mean, I never got pregnant. I never lost a child. I never, uh, I never had still, I mean, I never, I never was pregnant. It just, it just wasn't in our, in the plans. And so... Fast forward, I'm at the gynecologist and I said, I said, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. And he said, well, have you thought about adoption? And 10 years before, my my primary care doctor told me, he said, if you're going to start infertility treatments, put your name on the state adoption list. He said, it'll take your, your uh, fertility specialist 10 years to say this isn't going to work. He said, um, and that's how long it'll take your name to come up on the state adoption list for a baby. 
And I was like, yeah, you know, it's just natural. Everybody has a baby. So we didn't do it. Yeah. So my gynecologist said, where do you go to church? And I said, well, I'm a member of the Church of Christ. And he said, we'll call Agape. And his words were, air quotes, they will find you a baby. And I looked at him and I was like, from the cabbage patch? I said, where do they just find babies? So anyway, we called Agape and they had just finished their adoption process, their classes for adoption. And they said, we'll call you when the next one starts up. And they did. So we went through the adoption process and they told us at the end of that, uh, no time to two years. Average, six months to two years is what they said, average, but they said no time to two years. So we were like, okay. And uh, I'm telling you, if people that have children went through the adoption process, you wouldn't have children in foster care because there's nothing they don't ask. Things that I never thought about or envisioned, they ask. And I was like, oh. Okay. So I had told them at work, I said, you know, the process was over. We were, <clears throat> excuse me, we were approved. We were on the list. And um, I told them, I said, I'm going to quit work. I'm going to stay home. I was 40. I'd had a career, loved my job, but I wasn't adopting to give the child, to put the child in daycare. We were at a point where I could stay home. And uh, so anyway, I was working one Monday morning, phone rang. I answered the phone. <laughs> it was our uh, caseworker. I answered the phone, and she said, Penny. I said, yeah. She said, well, and you, you answer all of these questions. What you, what's okay? What's not okay? We didn't care, boy or girl. That that wasn't an issue, but one of the things that it asked about was mental health. And I, one of the things we said no to was mental health. Didn't really know what mental health meant, but we that was just one of the things we'd said no to. So she said, what about bipolar? And I said, I was in the middle, and I still don't remember what I was in the middle of, but I was in the middle of a problem. And I said, is bipolar genetic? And she said, yes. And I said, okay, then no. And didn't think anything about it. Hung up the phone. She called me back. She said, you hung up on me. I said, but I answered your question. I said, you ask about bipolar. I told you no. She said, call your doctor and ask your doctor. I said, why am I going to call my doctor? And I was clueless in left field. And she said, okay, I guess I'm just going to have to tell you. I said, tell me what? She said, you've been selected. I said, selected for what? (laughs) She said, a baby. Well, at that point, everybody on the third floor at the building I worked in knew what had happened because I screamed. And... um. So anyway, I did. I called the doctor, and I had a doctor that was like nothing excited him. And so I called, left a message. He called me back, and I started to bang my phone on the desk because I thought I didn't know who was on the other end of the line because it sure wasn't my doctor. Yeah. 
And so I said, this is what they said. I said, bipolar. He said, you don't, we don't, we don't care. I said, we don't care. He said, well, what if diabetics, diabetes ran in the family? I said, well, diabetes runs in my family. And he said, well, we don't care. He said, because if you catch bipolar as a child, they'll treat it and they'll take the medicine and it won't be an issue. It's just like diabetes. He said, the issue is when you're diagnosed late in life, you think you're better and you'll quit taking the medicine. I said, oh, okay. So I called back and told her yes. And she said, I'm just, she was telling, (laughs) she was ready to kill me. She said, do you know, you just like hung up on me a while ago. I said, I understand. I said, (laughs) I'm busy. But anyway, so we met the biological parent, the biological mother on Thursday and, um, grandma biological grandmother and you want to talk about a god thing oh my goodness um john and i sat in the whole meeting going man i know her i've seen her she as it turned out sat in the meeting the whole time doing the same thing we were doing and so it was just like we left that meeting to, after the talk and left with a um, just like we had met a long lost family member that we had not seen in years. And it was just a weird, and I don't really know how to explain, explain it, just a weird connection that we had. And it wasn't just the fact that she was giving her child up. It was like, we connected as far as you know backgrounds were similar she was only 19 was her first year in uh, college first boy she'd ever been with and when she got pregnant she um, told Jacob's biological father he had been in a relationship before and Mm -hmm. um, broke up with a girl and the girl told him she was pregnant. They got back together only to find out that she wasn't pregnant and he thought it was same song, different dance. Well, she had avoided her mom for the nine months. She was in college. She worked. And that's how it turned out. Jake, uh, John and I both had met her. Um or not really met her. I had met her only from a cash register, but she worked at JCPenney's at Hickory Hollow, and I used to buy clothes for my nieces from her. I had bought several things from her. We went to Hickory Hollow at least once a week at work and ate at the food court, and I had seen her at the food court. And you think, well, you know, why would you have noticed her? Well, at the time, she dressed gothic. And so it was something that you noticed, right. you know. What a crazy small world thing. You know, Dixon Girl, Hickory Hollow Food Court. Yes, yes. And John had just got through replacing all the lighting at Hickory Hollow. Oh, wow. So that's how he had seen her. And so, yes, it was a very, a very small world. And not only that, she was not Church of Christ, but she knew when she got pregnant, she had checked into, she, smart girl, but she had checked into, you know, the price of diapers, formula, what it was going to cost to raise him. 
And she said, we'll be on government assistance if I keep him. Because the biological father, once she told him, didn't believe her. And she never made any contact with him after the init- after she initially told him until Agape contacted her or contacted him. So anyway, um, she was she was working. She goes home or she ca- she gets she goes into labor at work. She calls her mom on a Saturday and she said, "Mom, I got to come home." She said, "I my stomach is killing me." She said. Um, I'm on my way home. So her mom said, okay. She goes home, and she lays on the bed. Her mom comes in. She's going to the grocery store, and she said, she looked at her, and she said, are you pregnant? She said, I don't know, maybe, knowing she's in labor. Yeah. So her mom said, well, I'm going to the store. I'll buy a pregnancy test. So she doesn't say anything to her. She goes to the store. Well, her labor progresses. So she calls her mom. She said, you've got to get home. I've got to get to the emergency room. I've got to see a doctor. So anyway, her mom stops for gas. She calls her again. She gets to the den. She's in the floor. They get her in the car. Her mom and stepfather get home. They get her in the car. They get to the hospital. Her mom goes in. She said, I think she's having a miscarriage. I think she's, you know, a few months along. And so... 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes later, the nurse comes out and says, you have a grandson, and he's full-term. Surprise. Yeah, it was quite a surprise. And the bizarre thing is, the grandmother was only a year younger than me. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we were quite close in age. So anyway, um, she told her mom, she said, I'm not going to keep him. She don't want to put him up for adoption. And the biological grandmother had raised her children, and she said she didn't want to start over, and she didn't want to resent starting over. And I got that. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, I, I understood her her thinking. So anyway, she they asked her what adoption. Uh, how did she want to go about it? What agency did she want to use? And that was one thing she hadn't looked at. So they brought her in a list of adoption agencies. And somewhere in their past, they knew somebody that adopted from Agape. And it went well. And she said she knew she wasn't doing the state. She She worked in retail and she had seen the state kids come in and she said she just knew that wasn't an option for her so she chose agape well she hadn't done anything up front so all of the stuff that agape does had to be done after jacob was born so jacob went into foster care and another small world at the time we were at walnut street and one of the members that I grew up at Walnut with with at Walnut Street went to the church where the um, foster mom and dad went. So when I the, one of the first times I had Jacob at uh, Walnut Street, they were there visiting, and she said, "Did you adopt him from Agape?" Because she recognized him. She said, we went out and bought milk for him one Wednesday night because we went longer than we were supposed to. 
and they didn't have enough milk. So you talk about small world. Yeah, there was a lot of small worlds. It's crazy. Yeah, and a lot of like, I mean, it was it was just bizarre, the stories that came up after the fact. Um, but anyway, so back to back to the adoption. He, when his biological mother was picking at Agape, you do a book like we we did a book of our life story, and. They give the birth mothers several books to look at, and you tell your story. And what caught her attention was my story on why almost why I didn't want children initially. Her father had left, and she connected with my father's story. So that's how. We were selected. So they called and wanted us to meet her. Well, I've told you we met her on Thursday. Anyway, his birth mother never held him. And she said that was, after the fact, one of her biggest regrets. But anyway, so when we met him, she wanted us to take him at risk. And one of the things I always said was I would not take one at risk. I wanted all of the adoption process, all of the paperwork signed. Because I said, if you come back and take him, just make me in a, you know, sign me up for Central State because you'll have to drop me off. Yeah. So anyway, I told her. And um, she said, I'm not going to come get him, but I want him in his home. So we we did it. We took him. And um, that was on Thursday when she said, yes, she agreed that we weren't serial killers or, you know, <laughs> anything. So, um, Friday morning, or Friday was my last day at work, walked out the door Friday afternoon, and there's a lot to be said for having nine months of pregnancy. I had done nothing, nothing, zero. Yeah. I had no bed, I had no bottles, I had no diapers, I had nothing. So... A group that I worked, that I did work for in uh, accounts receivable, that Friday, I filled my car up. I had diapers. I had, I had a carload of stuff. I still didn't have a bed, but anyway, I had a carload of stuff. So, um, that weekend was spent getting a bedroom ready, acquiring a bed. And uh, the necessities. So we pick Jacob up Monday morning. We go to Agape and um, walk out with a baby. Wow. Oh, oh yeah. Wow. Um, so we um, get home. And you want to talk about having people at your house oh my goodness we had a house full but anyway um his biological mother called and what she had asked for in the uh, in the adoption agreement was to be able to see jacob once a year and i was like you know once what's once a year to know that he's okay but after the after the after our connection you know i really didn't have a worry about her but she had 16 days before she could sign her paperwork 
and she wouldn't sign her paperwork until the biological father signed his, which was logical because she said she would keep him before she let the biological father keep him. And I could understand that. So anyway, they contacted him. He initially didn't respond. Um, They sent a certified letter, and when he got the certified letter, he finally accepted the fact that there was a baby involved. Right. He believed the story. He believed the story at that point. And he said he didn't have anything to offer him at the time, and so he signed his rights away. So she signed hers away, and in that 16-day that sixteen day period, she called wanting to come see him. And I said, okay, you know, come on down. I had some friends at the time that thought I'd lost my mind. And I said, you just don't understand. Well, she can take him back. I said, well, I understand she can take him back. I said, but I don't think she will take him back. I was at peace with that. And uh, so anyway, I had a friend, I had two friends at the house painting the bedroom the the first time she came. And they were like, you're crazy, you've lost your mind. And I was like, well, I know I'm crazy and I've lost my mind. But This is not new information. Yeah, this is, this is another situation. So anyway, she came in, we talked, she talked. They came out from their painting expedition and met her and talked to her. And they were like, I don't get it, I, but I get what you're saying now. And I don't know. I mean, it was just a piece. It was one of those things that I prayed when she asked us to take him at risk. I'm like, it's something I said I'd never do. But I did, and we did. But anyway, when I got the call that she had gone to court and signed the paperwork and it was all over, I mean, it, it is a relief. But I really already had that peace. I didn't really get any more peace from that because I... You were already there. I was already there. And so fast forward, she she came to see us quite frequently in the first few months. And Jacob had a reaction to his MMR shot. So I called the biological grandmother and I said, I asked, I said, you know, did she ever have any reactions to her? to her shots and she said only the MMR and I said well so did he and so I asked I said is she okay she said yeah she's okay and I said I have told people this is the part I'll lose it at but a God thing I said if you have never if you had walked in our shoes for the last three months. I said, it's just a God thing. I said, it's like we knew her forever. She felt like she had with us. And I said, it's just amazing. And she said, when she leaves your house, she says, a peace comes over her and she knows It was God's, this was God's plan. Wow. And I mean, it was just, 
she said the exact words. She said, you know, she said, it's just a God thing. And she said, those are the exact words she says. And I said, well, it's it's amazing. The first time we took Jacob to the pediatrician, I mean, I called. We got him on Monday. I called the pediatrician's office to make an appointment. The little receptionist says, well, you're already late. I said, I just got him. How am I late? <laughs> she said, well, he was supposed to see us, and she's going on and on. And I said, well, I just got him today. I couldn't get him to you any sooner, yeah. so can I make an appointment? Yeah. You're done chewing me out. <laughs> yes. You know, I just want an appointment. Can't fix any of that. So anyway, we go to the doctor. Doctor walks in. He asked me the story. I tell him. And she did know prenatal care. That's the one thing her mom was really upset with her about. And But she didn't. And she had insurance. It's just one of the things she didn't do. So the pediatrician says, oh, well, hand him to me there. You know, let me look at him. So he looks at him and he hands me back. He hands him back and he said, I don't know what to say. He said, he's perfect. And I looked at him and I said, this child has been prayed for for years. You know, I had a church congregation praying for a baby, you know, and there he was. Yeah. You know. I know your answer, Doc. Yeah. And he looked at me and he goes, well, it worked. And I went, (laughs) I know. (laughs) You're not telling me something. Yeah. So anyway, um. We, or I, sent, I was like, okay, so what can I do, like with her, to keep to keep the, the his biological mother up to date on what he's doing? So I sent a, a thing every year at Christmas of what had gone on that year and how he had grown and things he was doing, trying to keep her up to date. So she kind of fell out. We didn't hear from her. Jacob was about nine months old, 10 months old, the last time she came to the house. And she was coming really regularly. I saw her, you know, we saw her at least once or twice a month. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. We saw, I saw her a lot. And I was kind of lost when she kind of, and I didn't understand why she just kind of fell out. But the social worker said, you know, that's just, once they realize they're okay, you know, they'll, that's not unusual. So I was like, well, okay, I just have to accept that. And okay. I'm glad you had a social worker who could give you that piece. So, cause if you didn't have that, that would have, oh yeah. 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 Well, cause I thought, I thought, well, it was something I did. And so anyway, fast forward to Jacob's second, third birthday, maybe I get a letter and she tells me that she may I may not ever want Jacob to see her again. I may not ever let her see him again. And I was like, you know, what did you do? Did you murder somebody? Are you on drugs? You know, I mean, what what I what possibly could you have done that I would say you couldn't see him? She had gotten pregnant. She and his biological father got back together after the adoption and she got pregnant again. And they kept the second child. And I said, why would that keep me from letting you see Jacob? 
I said, I always knew you'd have other children. I said, I just thought you'd wait till after college. Yeah. And I do think now she was filling a hole that she was trying to fill a hole that she was missing because the statement was he had jaundice and she told the doctors, I will never leave the hospital without my child again. Yeah. And, but she was still at peace. I mean, she's always seemed at peace. And so Jacob comes out of school. We don't hear from him. I told her she could come see Jacob and she did. Um, and she came, brought brought the other ones a little, her, their child is a little boy. And then I didn't hear from her again. And it was several years after that. Well, Jake, fast forward, Jacob comes out of school in the fourth or fifth grade. Mom, can I mail this letter? I said, well, who's the letter to? And it was to it was to his biological mother. And I said, well, sure. I said, you might want to put it in an envelope. You might want to put a stamp on it. That would help. And an address will help, too. So he said, okay. So we went home. He put it in an envelope. He goes and puts it in the mailbox. He comes back. And I said, you put a stamp on it? No. I said, well, that'll help. So he goes, puts a stamp on it. And I have no clue what the letter said. It was, that was his his letter his thing so a few weeks later I get an email and it's from his biological mother and so we FaceTime and they talked Jacob talked to her got the answers he wanted I guess answered and they FaceTimed for a while and then that kind of fell off and fast forward another, oh goodness, it was just a year a year ago, I guess. Jacob has a lot of um, food issues. So we were out, well, I'll tell you exactly when it was. We were delivering for COVID. We were delivering communion. And I called and I said, because I was wanting to know, the doctors were asking, did anybody else in the family have food allergies. So I called and um, we were delivering. I had, had his biological mother on the speakerphone and we were talking. And uh, so we still have the connection. We still have the relationship. If Jacob wants to talk to him, he knows where he knows where she's at. Um, and it's uh, it's bizarre, though. One of the things I asked, Jacob has a uh, Short road rage opportunity. <laughs> yeah, he's a little a little testy in traffic. Yes. And so I made the statement. He was driving at the time, and she said, man, I can't believe he's driving. And I said, I know. I said, but he, I said he has such a short temper in traffic, and she was quiet for a few minutes or seconds. And I said, what? She said, well, I hate to tell you, he gets that from me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, lovely. So I said, well, how long did that last? She said, well, it's not going to make you happy, but a long time. She said, I've just now gotten to where I, she was just to where she wasn't just, she murderous said, you're murderous. So 
Anyway, but it's one of those things that you look back and you think, God was there from beginning to end. And slow prayer answers, (laughs) mine was 10 years. And what I thought was just a biological, natural thing, it wasn't. His answer was Jacob and a blessing. And I told you I'd cry. (laughs) Well, that's all right. That's all right. You know, one of the things that I think is really special about our time together is someday when Jacob has kids, they're going to get to hear this story. (laughs) And I think that's going to be a real gift to them and a real blessing for their family. It is amazing how God works his blessings in unexpected and unexplainable ways. I wish I had been at your place of employment when the when that called <laughs> because I can picture hearing you yell across the room. <laughs> I'm not saying that ever happens in our office. <laughs> I am, but uh, it would sure have been a fun call to witness. I am a screamer by nature, and everybody knew that. That was nothing new, but that scream. They knew. They knew. They knew. They knew. And it was kind of funny because HR was on the far end of our building <laughs> and all the HR people were going, it's a baby, it's a baby. And I was like, how do you know it's a baby? That scream. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> that's not that I couldn't find the bunch of code scream. Or that's, that's not I stubbed my toe scream. That's, that's a different scream. Yes. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Penny, today. Is there uh, is there any part that you'd like to, to go back and add a little more to or anything else you'd like to share? Or how about a word of encouragement uh, to someone who finds themselves in that journey of infertility or maybe the other journey where you're having to question, can I raise this child? Uh, yeah, don't. The big thing is don't give up. And for me, it was what I thought was a natural process. And just it just worked. It didn't. And it wasn't going to. And I mean, we had the doctor tell us the chances of John and John and I both had issues and the chances of us getting together were like one in a trillion. Yeah. Where it's both of you. So y'all didn't buy a lottery ticket every time. No, no. Now, I will say I had a lady at one point when I was ovulating that told me she would go to a sperm. She said, well, why don't you just go to a sperm bank? And I looked at her and I was like are you serious? And she said, yeah. I said, well, number one, that's wrong behind John's back. And number two, I, at some point in time in my life, would holler and say, it's not your child anyway. I got it from a sperm bank. (laughs) I said, no, I'll never have one if that's the case. And it's amazing what some people will say. Yeah. You know, um, not meaning to, but I will say don't ever give up. And God's answers just might not be what yours, what you were thinking. Because it wasn't for us. It was a blessing, the biggest blessing in my life. And um, and what's funny, one of the things they tell you when you go through the adoption process, a child will be your biggest joy and your biggest heartache. Isn't that the truth? 
And they said it doesn't matter whether they're biological or they're not. And what's bizarre, I mean, Jacob Jacob has always known he was adopted. I mean, we went to a church with 900 people. Yeah. There wasn't any not. And I never wanted, I didn't want him to never know. Yeah. You know, this isn't a thing of shame. It's just. Oh, no, it's just that's that's it's the it's a blessing is what it is. And but from a child's perspective, I'll I'll give you a laugh to go with my crying. We were going to Florida one year. John, my mom and John's mom were in the car and neither one of them were. They're like me. They're never at a loss for words. But Jacob's in the back seat, and he said, Mom. When you bought me at Walmart, how much was I? <laughs> Thank the Lord. And like I said, it's always a God thing And when you look back. But thank heavens we were in traffic because we probably would have died at that moment. <laughs> because I'm like, Walmart? And um, Come on, kid. I got you from Sears. Well, yeah. no, he'll tell you now, J.C. Penney's, yeah, because that's where she worked. But, uh, but I said, Walmart... And not my mother nor John's mom said a peep. I said, honey, we should not get you at Walmart. That is illegal. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's uh, it's interesting to to hear some of the things that he's come up with over the years. But most people, and like here when we started here, when I say he's adopted, most people don't believe us. Because he's so much like John. I know he is John. (laughs) It is scary. Tall, kind of lanky, quiet, uh, really funny when they want to be. Yep. Yep. It is scary. Mm. But yeah, it's, uh, it is definitely a blessing. Absolutely. Absolutely. A 10 year blessing is still a blessing. And maybe even a bigger blessing for the weight. Well, I mean, that's why I said, you know, I wasn't a 20-year-old. I had had a career. I got to have a career. It's what afforded me to quit quit work. To be able to go through the process. And to to go through the process. And, uh, well, we were lucky because at the time, John's insurance paid really well for infertility. For a lot of people, the money is an issue. Yeah. For us, it wasn't because because of his insurance. It would have been an issue if we hadn't had his insurance, but it paid it it paid well. Um, but you know the adoption process that the fees up front are expensive. Um, but it's a blessing. I mean, the whole process is a blessing. So don't give up. Don't give up. No. Now, Penny, if we had another episode to record, I'd say uh, you should talk next time about uh, the pinnacle of your career. That is church secretary work <laughs> at Burns Church in Christ. But I don't think our people are ready for those stories today. Well, that's because of Jacob. That's right. It, it is because of Jacob <laughs> yeah. um, that you guys ended up here. It was just kind of a, a better fit. And um, so I guess I'm even more glad for Jacob when you put it in, in that context. Well, friends, thanks so much for listening, and uh, it's been a good day here on The Rough Drafts, and I can't wait uh, for our next episode next Tuesday. Uh, remember, you can subscribe on iTunes or on Google Podcasts or Spotify. You can favorite us, heart us, star us, like us, 
I don't know what you can do. Just do something with us. Uh, but share us with a friend if you can and help get the word out about these really cool God moments that are right in front of us that we tend to miss. Until next time, I can't wait to hear what God is up to in your story. Thanks for listening to Rough Drafts. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review. Until next time, let's keep looking for how God writes his love into our stories. Okay, friends, you know how if you go see a Marvel movie, there is a post credit scene where there's some really good stuff? Well, that's what's happening right now. It's the first time on our podcast. But Penny and I, you know, we do live in the same building over here. Uh, we're talking the other day. She said, I forgot to tell part of the story. So you've got to hear this. It's good. Penny, take it away. No, you look back and you think you see God in things after the fact. One of the things that happened with Jacob was his name. His birth mother did not had had not picked out a name the whole time she was pregnant because she knew she was going to give him up and she didn't think she had to have a name. Well, they told her in the hospital before he could leave the hospital, he had to be named. So she said she stayed up all night looking, trying to come up with a name. And she said she got the Bible out and she was looking for names. And she came up with three and she named him Jacob Michael. So the Thursday that we met, she and her mother, one of the things they asked is, what are you going to name the baby? And I looked at her, and John looked at her, and we said, we're not changing his name. And the look on their face was, of course, one of shock, because you don't expect that answer. And I told him, I said, one of the names we had talked about was Jacob. And I said, we were going to name him Jacob Allen, because John's middle name was Allen. I said, but when I told John what his name was, he liked it, I liked it, and we didn't change it. So that's just another one of those things that God was there the whole time, and that's another one of his winks in our eye in our you know in our story that's just so cool because it kind of is like i knew this is what was going to happen yeah i mean and that's what you look at it's like man he knew how cool yeah and what a relief that had to have been to the first mom too oh and i think so i mean just the look on she and her mom's face was like wow that's so cool yep well penny thanks for coming back and thanks for telling the story Friends, thanks for listening, and this is really the end of this episode. (laughs) See you next time.